This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, co-host of the Pass the Mic podcast. Let me throw this at you, a live podcast show. We're doing it. Pass the Mic is going to have a live show in Atlanta, Friday, August 19th at 7 p.m. That's Atlanta, Friday, August 19th at 7 p.m. We're going to be at the M3 Center Studio. You can grab your tickets at eventbrite.com and at thewitnessbcc.com. I guarantee you it's going to be a good time. It's going to be chill. There's going to be laughs. There's going to be mental and intellectual and spiritual edification and stimulation. It's going to be me and Tyler and the crew out there. We want to see y'all in person. Come on out to Pass the Mic Live in ATL at the M3 Center Studio. Show starts at 7, doors open at 6. You can get your tickets at eventbrite.com or thewitnessbcc.com. Check our socials for details, and we will see you live in Atlanta next Friday. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, and the winner of the ECPA, 2022 Faith and Culture Book Award, Dr. <laughs> Jamar Tisby. I haven't had a chance to congratulate you, brother. Congratulations, sir. I appreciate that, bro. I appreciate that. And of course, if you want to keep up with my latest writing, you can subscribe to my newsletter at jamartisby.substack.com. Brother, it's great to be here on today. Do that listen, church if, introduction. <laughs> listen, and let me tell you, it needs a church introduction because if you are watching the video, you already know who's joining us. And if you clicked on this podcast, you already know what time it is. We have none other than the illustrious. It's almost, you know, I don't, I, I, whenever we say this, it feels weird to say it, but truly needs no introduction. The lead pastor of, of Change Church, One Church, multiple locations, the author, the nationally renowned, internationally renowned speaker, and what he likes to call himself, which I love, the pastorpreneur, Dr. <laughs> Darius Daniels. How you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to be to be on Jamar. You're you're how can I put it? You're your favorite author's favorite author. Ah, ah. I like that. Tyler, add that one to the intro. Okay, I like your favorite that. author's favorite. I got favorite it. Author's I got it. Favorite author. No, guys, listen. I, I'm I'm really excited to uh, just have a conversation with y'all. Love the work that you're doing, and and hopefully, man, we can add some value to people. Well, we are excited to have you on and talk about your new book, Your Purpose is Calling. But before we get into this, preacher to preacher, I have to get one question out the way because I was in the room, in the building, when you preached at ILS this year, Bishop Jake's Leadership Conference, and I was in the room and you preached a message entitled, He Didn't See It Coming. And... It was tremendous and incredible. And it's it, what, what is interesting about this is you preach in so many different settings. 
And so I wanted to ask you a question about contextualizing for your audience. What is the process of this? Because you preached a certain way at ILS and I've seen you preach other places, but you preached a certain (laughs) way at ILS. Is it something different when it's just us in the room? You know what I'm saying? Is it something different? Do you feel like it takes you to another level? You know, what was, can you describe that moment? Because it felt like a, a special moment. Yeah. So one, man, th- thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm honored by that. It's weird. I, I, get, I get asked this question a lot. I think more along the lines of like speaking to different ethnic spaces than like kind of religious traditions. And, uh, but I will look at when it comes to my life, just in terms of my relationships and my spiritual journey, it's kind of been like, like we would have these, I grew up in Mississippi, so we would, uh, and so um, okay, all right. my, my dad would have these, uh, so I grew up in a um, small town called Kill Michael, Mississippi. My dad would have these, you know, we always have these dogs that would come from nowhere. I'd be like, dad, what kind of dog is that? He'd be like, that's a mutt. It's just, it's just a little bit of everything, you know? And so when I think about kind of like my, my spiritual journey, it's a bit of that. I went to, let's see, my father is a pastor and so he's Baptist. But then we had this stint for, I don't know, probably a little less than a couple of years in the Church of God in Christ. And then when I went to um, undergrad, Millsaps in Jackson was a Methodist school. And then when I went to PTS, Princeton is associated with PCA. So and then Fuller is a little bit of everything. So like just I just had. It's almost like I don't have to be anyone other than myself in different rooms. I just have to decide what part of myself is going to serve this context the best. And uh, I think what what you saw at ILS is probably a space that I felt more comfortable in. I don't have to code switch. I don't have to hold back in terms of theatrics and emotion and Etc. And it was a room primarily filled with leaders. And so the biblical literacy level is a little higher. And so uh, mm. it was just just kind of one of those things. And God just graced us to get through it. Listen, Jamar, if you haven't seen this one, he preached a, and he he closed and he waved and left. It was, it was, you got to watch it. I'm telling y'all, watch that. That's on his YouTube channel. You got to watch that. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. I appreciate that. You know what? I, I just I love when um, pastors write books. Uh, Dr. Daniels, I'm tr- D- Tyler's got writing credits to his name, right? But I'm trying to get him to solo Stop. author. But <laughs> I love it when pastors write books, because even as you look through the table of contents of your book, it's like a sermon. It's it, it, There's alliteration, there's flow, there's it's, yeah. it's like literature in addition to this downloading of information. But you're a multi-published author, and um, we all are are interested in writing books and whatnot. I was curious about your journey as a black author publishing with uh, predominantly white, historically white Christian publishing. Um, and I've, I've done the same, same publisher and everything like that. But I want folks to know, you know, was there anything unique, challenging, unexpected about your journey in publishing as a black author? Yeah. So I wouldn't say, I don't know if I would use the word, unique because I can only one, I think more of us need to write. So that's, that's a completely different conversation. Um, I think Tyler, more of us need to write. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> but no, one, I think more of us need to write. So there weren't a lot of people like I have conversations with, uh, that were kind of in that space, meaning being an African-American author, 
being published by and working with uh, a predominantly kind of Anglo team and company. You know, honestly, I felt my experience was great. I am with the relational intelligence and this book had an incredible team, but there is a degree of, I feel like this similarity between, you know, when you're writing papers and uh, let's say you're a school, you're a seminary and you're writing papers and you're trying to make a point, but you got to explain the context because they don't understand the culture. Mm. It's like, so <laughs> this is like, I got to explain the reality to my professor that they're unfamiliar with so that they understand the point that I'm trying to make. So I think, yeah. um, they're open-minded, great, committed, bought in, but there there were challenges. I think in terms of what would, you know, what resonates with the people that they're accustomed to to serving, and the people they're accustomed to writing to, and the authors they're accustomed to working with, and what I feel like resonates with the audience that I am primarily serving, and presenting it in a way that actually reflects the authenticity of mm -hmm what I bring to writing as an African-American man, you know, and so I, I yes. think, I think if you rob the body of the richness of that experience, if you require me to leave that out of the writing experience. And so uh, it was great. I wouldn't call it challenging at all. They, they, they've been great, but, but that was a couple of obstacles. I feel like I had to navigate my way through. Yeah, that's uh, that's extremely helpful. And speaking of the book, of course, it's entitled Your Purpose is Calling. And this is seems like a very natural subject for you to talk about, because if you listen to your preaching, follow your ministry, it is very empowering. You do operate in the faith and business sphere. Um, you feel called to that. You feel like that's where you're supposed to add value. Um, but the topic of purpose is even for people approaching this book, often a little triggering. Because mm -hmm. while some people are operating in their purpose, a lot of people feel as though they're not. Yeah. Um, I was having this conversation with Jamar as we were prepping for this. And I said, it feels like there are more resources about our purpose than ever before. But it seems like there are fewer of us who are actually walking in it. Mm -hmm. So it, it feels like there's a disconnect between education and application. Or it feels like there's mm -hmm. a disconnect between those things. And so what do you feel like for framing the idea of purpose? What is the disconnect between hearing about purpose and walking in it. Yeah. You know, I actually try to, well, I want to start by saying this is even with me writing this book, book, it kind of came from two places. One, it came from a personal struggle that I, maybe we can talk about a little bit later in the interview. I talk a little bit about it in the book, but Tyler, even you mentioned kind of the various uh, spheres of uh, influence, various sections of culture that I feel called to serve. And, um, it was just kind of it was it was really challenging kind of embracing some of that. Um, so the book was kind of written from that place. And I think like kind of from my perspective, excuse me, with my experience, the the operative word is your and it's not just purpose. And that's a different conversation. It's yours, mm -hmm. uh, yours in the sense that uh, it's unique, it's customized. And um, so it kind of came from that place. And then secondly, just pastorally. Man, I would agree. It was almost like the majority of people that I would have conversations with about purpose were confused about it. And I felt like it was something that, you know, pastorally, I wanted to give some direction on and give some language to. And I feel like what I found is, as it relates to the disconnect, I found three things. It's either lack of understanding, 
And, and by that, this is what I mean when I say lack of understanding. I think the misunderstanding of purpose comes from two places. A deficit, meaning they don't have enough information or deception. They got wrong information about it. Hmm. So they're, they're viewing it myopically and it's reduct. It's they got this reduct reductionist. They're reductionist in the, the way that they look at it. It's like purpose is my yeah. job or purpose is my. And so that's not incorrect, but it's it can be incomplete. So it's scary because there are some people who are like, I'm not walking in it and I know it. Then there are other people who are, they think they're walking in it and they're not. So, so, so understanding is one part. And then the second part is, which is, I think probably one of the most important ones and that's embracing it. And that's really a matter of emotional intelligence because you don't pick your purpose. You discover it. Once it's discovered, you got to submit to it. Your willingness and ability to submit to it has a lot to do with just your emotional health. Are you suffering with comparison? Do you have, are you stuck in a comparison trap? Do you have imposter syndrome? Do you believe you got to be seen to be significant? All of these Mm -hmm. kinds of things, I think actually get in the way of people unleashing it. Uh, I mean, embracing it. And then there's the unleashing of it where I just think people have a problem with application in general. I don't think it's unique to purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, Parents have issues with it. It's like, I know what to do. It's hard to do it with my kid. Christians have issues with it. I know what the scriptures teach. I know I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. I still have trouble doing it. So I I, I feel like that's just a, a struggle and an issue in culture in general. And it shows up in purpose, but it's not unique to purpose. Yeah. And, and you spoke about this in, in the book. I feel like you frame it so well. You talk about, um, you know, understanding who you are, um, embracing it and then unleashing. And, you know, you, yeah. if that's how you frame the sections of the book. You mentioned this personal wrestle and struggle, which is so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, to hear what people struggle with from afar. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because you are very confident. And you are very intentional. And I actually want to talk about that a little bit later, the intentionality and how you apply that in your purpose. But talk, tell, tell our audience a little bit about this wrestle that you wrote the book from, uh, because it's fascinating to read what you're navigating that we wouldn't even know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I appreciate what you said. I would say I try to be intentional. I feel like the confidence piece is something that I'm still growing into, mm. if it makes sense. You know what I mean? I feel like I've kind of my philosophy is when I can't arrest fear, I just try to replace an inferior fear with a superior fear. So it's like I'm scared Ooh. to do this, but I'm more scared to not do this. Mm. Who's going to do it? You know what I mean? So I feel like I'm kind of I feel like I'm kind of growing in that. Um Trying, trying to at least, but here it is. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. You just unlocked something for me. Hold on now. <laughs> you replace the inferior fear with w- wow. Okay, yeah. you unlock something. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I had to pause there. You unlock something for me because I feel like Jamar. That just explained a lot. Yeah, it's like it's like it, 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 it's not sort of just gritting your teeth and 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 buckling down and powering your way huh. through something. It is replacing something with uh, either a greater desire, like you say, a greater fear, you know, of 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 not doing something. I mean, just unpack that for us, Doctor Darren. You don't want to. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. That just unlocked something in me. Yeah. So I feel like, and this is, I know this is simplistic, but at the risk of oversimplifying this. There seems to be two primary ways God wired us to be motivated. And I think we see both of those in scripture, reward and consequence. Hmm. You see that you see that rubric in Deuteronomy 28. 
Yo, you do this, it leads to this outcome. You do that, it leads to that outcome. And even in wisdom literature, you hear like Solomon talking about how, hey, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so anyway, um, yeah, there's just a lot of fear. And I'll talk about why in a minute, but there's just a lot of fear about um, stepping into what I would what I would call like my unique identity. And we talk about this in the book, like you've got your unique identity, which is, and there are a number of different components of that. You got unique design, like the way you've been wired, your capabilities, your competencies, but you've also got unique dreams. Like there are some things you guys are doing and I might look at it and uh, there's some things I'm doing. You guys might look at it and say, I admire that, but I don't desire that. And there might be things that, that I'm looking at that you're doing. And I'm like, I admire that, but I don't desire that. And so, you know, I think sometimes God gives us not what we want, but what to want. And so just feeling this call to a couple of different spaces without abandoning the local, without abandoning leadership of the local local church was something that I was, um, it was just scary for me to do. One, I yes. didn't know how it was going to be interpreted by my congregation. Two, I had mentors from time to time who also didn't quite get it. And their view of pastoral ministry was a view where faithfulness was almost conflated with exclusivity to be faithful to this. You, you only do this. And so some of the stuff I was advised against, you know, <laughs> early on. So it was fear of how does this affect the relationships and things of that particular nature. But anyway, there was, there was just this longing and this conviction that this is an area I've been wired to and have a passion about and value in. And I am a, and those fears didn't diminish how it would be received, if it would work, um, how it would affect the relationships, if it would negatively impact, you know, my faithfulness at our church. I had to work through all of that. And it was just like, I am afraid to do this. But I was afraid not to go to law school and go to seminary. I chose seminary or law school. And I look at what would have happened if I didn't. Hmm. And so yes. that is what I mean when I say I was still scared. I just took a, <laughs> I know the Bible says fear not. I wasn't there yet. I feared a little bit. I just took a superior fear, which like, man, what happens if I don't do this? Yeah. And I just, I just replaced, replaced the inferior fear with the superior one. Hmm. That's, so, that's so profound. Another thing you say, this is, I think, wrapped up in really what forms part of the core of the book. You said you will always behave in a way that is consistent with how you view yourself. Yeah. You will always be behave in a way that is consistent with how you view yourself, which is really an identity question, how you view yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, from a black Christian perspective, you know, we've been taught by society and even sometimes theology that we're not supposed to think well of ourselves, that 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 we, we live in a system that that constantly um, tells us the negative things about ourselves. So that's sort of warped our views of 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 ourselves and our our worth and our identity. Why is a proper view of self, which might even be interpreted by some as 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 arrogance, you know, mm -hmm. or pride? Why mm -hmm. is that actually spiritually healthy? Yeah, I not only think it's spiritually healthy, I think it's necessary. I think it's I think it's essential for a healthy spiritual life. And 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 I know that can sound like we're saying the same thing, but I think there is some some nuance there. And so anyway, 
Um, I would agree, Jamar, you've got a number of different factors that kind of contribute to that. And I think for me, I think, I don't know, I think my perspective on this just kind of came through my reading of scripture. And I'm not even saying it was like intentional. It was just, just, you know, by God's grace, there was just certain things that I saw because I feel like in my own experience, personally, that what happened for me is basically I had a view about humility that was inconsistent with the type of humility that Jesus actually practiced in his life. Hmm. So if Jesus is the ultimate expression of humility, then I need to look at him as an example of what it means to be humbly, uh, what it means to be humble and to see yourself right. Um, as opposed to my interpretation of what the word means and me kind of capitulating to all of the, the trauma that we deal with just being black, black men, period, yes. in society and um, the stereotypes. So, uh, Jamar, I know you're familiar with Millsaps. And, uh, man, I remember my first you couldn't walk three steps without somebody asking if you black and a guy, what do you play? Exactly. What sport do you play? <laughs> you know, like, what do you, what do you play? And it was like, you know what I mean? And, and, and it was weird. Cause I played, I played basketball there, but it's like, I'm not here to play. Ba- like, you don't come to a division three school to play basketball. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not like, here for the great athletic facility. <laughs> right. We have like our professors do not care that you, that you play sports at a D three school. But anyway, so I just felt like, there were so many things that I felt like God was calling me to do and to do a certain way uh, that I that I just wasn't able to do or wasn't able to do well, not because I saw him wrong, but I didn't see myself right. And I, I just mm-hmm. I just saw I was kind of in a way, it's almost like the numbers 13 with the spies getting ready to uh, I mean, with Israel getting ready to go yes. into the promised land. The problem wasn't that they saw God wrong. They didn't see themselves right. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. And I just felt like, man, there were leadership decisions I wasn't making that I needed to make because of that and professional decisions I needed to make. And then even as a parent, sometimes some decisions I needed to make that I wasn't making because I didn't see me right. And once I saw, I don't know, uh, I think I was doing the series on Represent Jesus, which was a book I wrote a long time ago. And um, just really looking at not saying, hey, I know Jesus died to be our savior. He lived to be our example. I'm about to do an extensive study just on his life. And because I grew up Baptist and every Sunday he died. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he died. Oh, didn't he die? Oh, didn't he die? He lived. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yes. What I begin to see is like, yo, a lot of what we know about Jesus, he said about himself. He said, I'm the way, mm-hmm. the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He said, you show this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. So the idea is just, it, it's just like really, yo, arrogance doesn't come from knowing who you are or what you have. Arrogance comes when you forget who gave it to you. So uh, they just kind of shifted my perspective. And um, that's why I lean into that so heavy in the book, because I know if it's an issue for me, it's probably an issue for a lot of other people. Absolutely. You you know, I think, Dr. Daniels, there's this other wrestle that I feel like people have whenever we talk about purpose. And it's I think what you embody in your own story as well, which is I'm walking in a part of my purpose, but not all of it. So it's it's Mm -hmm. a level of. I feel so close yet so far away from the things that I feel like God has called me into. And 
it often takes years to figure that out mm-hmm. and years to fully walk into that and years to fully live into that. And for most of us, I feel like there's a fear of starting, failing, and then having a restart. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how long this journey takes? Because when we talk about purpose, I think we assume it's a start and an end. We get to that place. It's a destination. We're on the big stage or you know, cutting the ribbon at our business or whatever it may be. And so we just assume that it's going to be that moment. And really, it's it's not. It's continual. Can you talk about that process? Because I think sometimes that scares us out of pursuing purpose. I'm saying I need to hear this. This is about to be a therapy session. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, man, you know, you, you're right. It is a process. But I, I, I think the best way I can answer your question is by kind of articulating why I believe it's a process and why it kind of takes the time that it takes. And, um, you know, I, uh, of course I struggle with this cause I am not the most patient person. <laughs> and so is that, I think it's a process. We don't think it's a process because I think we don't necessarily view purpose. I think the way it probably needs to be viewed. And so mm-hmm. it, here is why, why I think the pro there, it is a process. It takes time. And why I think that's necessary is because for me, there needs to be a stink- distinction between calling, roles, and purpose. Yes, sir. Yes, I sir. I got to talk about this in the book, where for me, your purpose is going to be accomplished by you faithfully stewarding your calling to certain roles in certain seasons. Mm. And so my obsession now is not necessarily with purpose. My obsession is faithfully answering the call to the roles God's calling me to in the season that he's calling me into them. So I say calling is God's invitation for your participation in the reason for your creation. You've been created for some reasons. Then God unveils and exposes part of that to you and invites you to align your life with that reason. Now, but very often this calling is to roles, which are certain sets of responsibility that God Mm -hmm. gives you in a certain season. So, for example, I remember when I was a student at Princeton, I was interning at a church in Trenton. And when I was there, I was a youth minister. I'm not and I'm saying Darius Daniels was in purpose then. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was faithfully stewarding the role I was called to. Now I went from a youth pastor. Then I went to an associate pastor. Then I went to an interim pastor. Then I went to a church planner. Then I went to multi-site. Then I went to the academy as an adjunct. Then I moved into coaching. Then I moved into entrepreneurship. And in the midst of all of that, um, you know, I became a husband. Yes, that's a role. That's a vocation. That's a part of my purpose. I became a father. That is a role that I was called to. That was part of my purpose. And so, you know, one of the things that happens is I think this is what I tell people a lot, too. We can be so focused on getting clarity on the parts of our purpose we don't know about that we're not faithfully stewarding 
the areas we do know about. You know, so. well, what am I supposed my to do? My goodness. You got kids, right? Well, that's part of it. You know what I mean? You got a spouse, right? Well, that's that's part of it. And so that's why I think it's a process because you're going to carry out different roles in different seasons. Yeah, that's so good. I'm glad you I'm and I'm glad you mentioned that specifically because I feel like there is so much pressure that we feel from all different sides to be at a place. And I think having grown in this understanding as a young black man, we often bear more responsibility than what actually God called us to. Mm -hmm. Um, And being content where God has me in the season, God has me in it, in the specific role, you know, doing the calling, I think has been a wrestle, but it's also been now in this season, a joy to say, this is what I do in this season. Yeah. And yeah. whatever yeah. comes after that is what comes after that. But this is what I do in this season right now. Yeah. Um, and I found that to be hard, but I think I've just entered a season of my life where I feel like I've fully embraced that. I've said I've embraced that because it sounds good to say that as a pastor in previous years, but I haven't really embraced that in my heart. And I think I have now um, and or at least taken a, a further step in that. And I feel like that's been key that understanding you just you just shared Huge. yeah and differentiating between calling roles purpose i think for me that helps give a sense of peace and freedom that you can be where you are doing what you're doing yeah. and not feeling like you're missing out on something you're behind on something because i still i say this all the time i'm still trying to figure out what i want to be when i grow up <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. i've had such an interesting journey, particularly professionally, that, you know, it's not just one thing. And I think more and more, actually, people are having these multifaceted kinds of um, lives where they're doing lots of different things instead of, you know, I clock in at the factory at nine and clock out at five and yeah. that's my life, right? So in, in this constant landscape, that's a really helpful perspective to have. You know, you guys just made me realize something that I actually put together. Oh, my goodness. I put together something I didn't put in the book. I probably should have put it in the book. It is what it is now. But, but you know, I, you know I, cre- I created something a while ago called a purpose pie. Hmm. Right. And so I t- we took this image of a pie and we divided it into slices. And it's really slices of life. Right. And what we said is, hey. These are slices of life that are actually related to who you are and the contribution that you're going to make. And your purpose is a compilation of all of this. So like one slice was character, which is the compilation, I think, of your spiritual and emotional health. Because purpose isn't just about doing your best work, it's about becoming your best self. There is right. So so who just who I am to people is a part of my purpose. And then mm-hmm. we moved into other areas relationally. So you got all kinds of relationships. You got casual relationships. You got kindred relationships. You got corporate relationships. You got kingdom relationships. So how am I supposed to intentionally steward those areas of my life? So profession is just really one of the slices. Like it, mm-hmm. it like it's just one of the slices. You got physically, how am I stewarding my body? Financially, how am I stewarding um, my resources. So we re literally, when I created the pie, you would think that profession is the biggest slice. Character is the biggest slice. There you go. That's good. And um, That's so good. 
I know it's not often talked about that way, but um, th that's kind of the way I see it. Hey, folks, Jamar Tisby here, co-host of the Pass the Mic podcast. Let me throw this at you. A live podcast show. We're doing it. Pass the Mic is going to have a live show in Atlanta Friday, August 19th at 7 p.m. That's Atlanta, Friday, August 19th at 7 p.m. We're going to be at the M3 Center Studio. You can grab your tickets at eventbrite.com and at thewitnessbcc.com. I guarantee you it's going to be a good time. It's going to be chill. There's going to be laughs. There's going to be mental and intellectual and spiritual edification and stimulation. It's going to be me and Tyler and the crew out there. We want to see y'all in person. Come on out to pass the mic live in ATL at the M3 Center Studio. Show starts at 7, doors open at 6. You can get your tickets at eventbrite.com or thewitnessbcc.com. Check our socials for details, and we will see you live in Atlanta next Friday. Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pass the Mic, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. And for just $1 an episode, just a dollar? now that's the bare minimum, that's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash pass the mic we appreciate you ambition has always existed but with the advent of social media you have exposure now to the accomplishments of others yes and it awakens yes. hyper ambition it is it is using Paul's language it's the spirit of this age. Um, so I think it's so important. And I think because of that, very often people assume that there is no healthy ambition. And um, yeah, I, I, I would what I encourage people to do, my answer would be yes, there is a healthy ambition. And I think that ambition mm -hmm. is necessary. Um to faithfully steward certain areas and is necessary to optimize in certain areas, to be fruitful, to produce right. something, to be good at something. There has to be yes, a yes. ambition. Yes. I don't want to just be a writer. I want to be a good one. I don't want to just That's be a good. speaker. I want to be a good one. And so what I say is this, I think there's some ambition that's immoral, but then I think there's some ambition that's amoral. And how do I know the difference? I put it through this filter. It's three questions. Is it holy? Is what I'm inspiring to do, mm -hmm. inspiring to do inconsistent with the values and the standards of scripture? Yes. Two, is it healthy? Is what I'm aspiring to do going to be self-destructive? Is it destructive to relationships? Is it um, is it destructing destructive when it comes to my soul? And then and that's a completely different conversation. O to OM to the G. That's a completely different. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. <laughs> uh, yes. It is. Like this, to me, this this hustle and grind culture is so antithetical to the rhythm of God and scripture. It's, anyway, is it hmm. I'm not gonna that soapbox, but is it holy? Is it health healthy? And is it helpful? 
you know, this desire that I have, is it helping someone besides me? And if I feel like I could check the box on all three, a lot of times I don't, I don't get obsessed with, obsessed with, is this God or me? It's it checks the boxes. It's in my heart. Let's do it. Yeah, that that's, that's extremely <laughs> helpful. Yeah. Extremely helpful. Um, one more question kind of in this vein, and then we'll ask a few more um, kind of separate from this, but you talk in the book about this word, people's use of the word to T O O and how, when people use the word to it's often an assessment of you from their own, their expectations of themselves, right? So what they should do or shouldn't you're to this, you're to that, you're to this. Mm-hmm. And I think from, you know, our audience, which is primarily a black Christian audience and black Christian perspective, we get a lot of that and we hear a lot of that. And Jamar has heard a lot of that. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of that, that two word. Um, and I think it can do a lot of warfare to our minds and our worth, but it can also cause us to course correct in ways that I've seen, uh, doctor, and maybe, and maybe I'm just, maybe it's just me, but I've seen how I will naturally course correct, even in my defiance to that idea. Because, you know, we're black Christians, we're men, you know, we're very direct, you know, bold, all this stuff. But I've seen that I will course correct. I'll say I believe one thing, but I will shift internally because someone else's assessment and often from people who are close and people who I trust. You know, you mentioned mentors and leaders and, and, and that's a whole separate conversation. But like, how do we manage those relationships well as well? But. Talk to the audience about this two word and how we need to properly put in context when someone says we're doing too much or whatever it may be. Yeah, you know, I think um, I I think you 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 articulated it amazingly well when you when you mentioned that. um, They're very often when people are saying that they're saying that from the perspective of, of one, just their own experience with themselves. It might be too much for them. And, um, or <laughs> I got so many real life scenarios running through my head. I feel like I've been, please share one. Please share one, please. Oh my God. Gosh. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I feel like I would hear, I hear regularly, is like, you're doing too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I hear that so much. And when I say that, when I, when I hear people say that, I was just like, I just played 2K22 for like two hours yesterday. Like, what are you? Like, what are you like? What are you? I was like, what are you? I just went and bought a new gaming computer two days ago. Like, what are, what are you talking about? So I feel like. um one of when when people say that it's they're looking at my activity and for them it would be overwhelming and maybe it would be overwhelming for them but that doesn't mean it's overwhelming for me because maybe i've got right. some structure uh to my life that they don't have maybe i'm in a season where i have support that they may not have and then i also going back to this word again have a, I may have a wiring, a unique design, mm-hmm. a competency mm-hmm. and a capacity that, um, that they may not have. And so I think what it really comes down to is this. 
it comes down to accepting the fact. And this, oh, this is so hard. But to me, David is an amazing example of this. Accepting the fact that sometimes <laughs> there's a king in the house and Jesse can't see it. Hmm. Just, like living with the reality that people that know and love me don't always see me. They don't always get me. They don't always understand me. Doc, 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 doc. You just got to accept that. You know what I mean? Like literally, I had a mentor. After, after we just saw like a degree of just God's grace and fruitfulness in the business space, I had a mentor come back to me and say, you were right about that. Hmm. Hmm. But, but before he just, you know, when I'm sharing, when I'm sharing what I was sensing, he didn't see it. And I was like, yo, this is my, this is my calling. This is, this is ministry. Yeah. All businesses is, is, yeah. a, is a delivery system for value. This is, it's the doctrine of vocation, bro. This is God is answering the Lord's prayer. Give us this daily yes. bread. The father's answering that prayer through the, 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 the farmer that plants through the workers that harvest the grain through the baker that bakes it through the stores that stock it through the people that sell it. Yes, sir. Like we, we, we are able to serve your audience because somebody created this platform we're using, yes, the cameras yes. we're using, the mics that mm -hmm. we're using. This mm -hmm. is not like second class, low tier ministry, bro. This is God is at work here. And so yes. I felt like it's, it was biblical. It was whatever, but I just wasn't seen and, and it was challenging because you want Jesse to see you like you want Jesse to see you. And it doesn't mean Jesse's a bad person. I don't know why Jesse can't always see you, but just sometimes Jesse, he don't see. Oof. God, that is, but then, but then that's, that's, that reminds me though of what you talked about, even in that message where you talked about how your oil and your season don't always match. Right. Like, so this concept of, you know, he's, he's anointed, goes back to the fields and then gets sent on a, on a supply run to the yeah. battle. <laughs> like, no, he sent him on supply, go, go feed your brothers. You know, it's like, <laughs> man, I just got the oil. Y'all saw it. The prophet of the land was here, you know, Wow. That's going to set some people free. Jamar, that's going to set some people free. For real. I mean, I'm processing it right now. Like, oh, man, I'm going to have to go like in the woods and just think with, just get with Jesus <laughs> for a minute. This is kind of like this reality of being seen is exacerbated when you're a black male. Okay. So this, see, not this only, is where I was going to It's not only does Jesse not see you. It's like dominant culture doesn't see you. Like, I can't describe the way it made me feel. Well, I can remember this. I can remember, I'm 18 years old. I can't describe the way it made me feel when everybody always asks you, what did you play? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And almost like, yo, or, or you know, are you, are, are, you, are you here just on the merits of affirmative action? And in my mind, I'm like, are you here because your daddy's name's on the dorm? I'm in class. <laughs> I'm in class with you, bro. And I'm listening to you speak. And so you're looking at my skin color, wondering why I'm here. I'm listening to you speak, wondering <laughs> why you were here. But yeah, Sir. it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, exactly it's exacerbated. And, and that's what really has made. And I'm so glad you mentioned that, you know, it's, it's made us cherish these moments, especially with with black men and black Christian leaders 
who are men because I feel like there's just a level of we get used to being perpetually invisible. Mm-hmm. And I think while it's 100% true, there's a lot that we have to address with our relationship to Black women and women in general. I feel like amongst ourselves, even sometimes we can be around each other. Jamar and I have just been on this journey of being doing a podcast together, being friends and not seeing one another mm. and figuring out what does it look like now for us to repair a relationship and be able to see one another properly and well, you know, as brothers who are doing a work. Um, mm-hmm. But you get so caught up in the work, you don't see who you're doing it with. Yeah, I have an, I have one more question on this and then we'll we have uh, only a few more minutes. But I have one more question on this, Dr. Daniels. You Jamar and I were talking about this. How do you do your purpose and get paid? Because it just, yeah. you know, it, it just, it, you know, I feel like sometimes purpose for a lot of us when it's not profession feels like poverty. And so how do you do the purpose and, and still get paid? Not to the point where you're trying to be opulent, but just to the point to where you want to pass something on. Well, that, that video of you, um, I believe it was you paid off your parents' house or something yeah, of that paid nature. Yeah, I paid off. Yeah, paid off. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. so moving and blew me away because there was such a, a holy longing that that's what I want to be able to do for my parents. That's what I want to be right. able to do for my my kids, my grandkids. Now, how do you do that and get paid? Mm. So that's a completely different conversation. But <laughs> yeah, because because part of that can't happen until we remedy our theology of money. And Ooh. I think for many of us, our yes. theology of money is a reactionary theology to the prosperity movement. So there's a degree of yes, objectivity sir. that's been removed because we're trying to avoid sounding like or embracing anything that suggests that one of the ways that God expresses generosity generosity to us is is through him equipping us with the ability, the power to add value to people in such a way that they express appreciation for the contribution we've made in their life in the form of compensation. So that's, that's a completely, that's a, that, so a lot of that, a lot of that has to be remedied. It's like, and I found this, like what I say all the time is like, bro, we don't correct wrong teaching with non-teaching. We correct hmm. wrong teaching with right teaching. And yes. so it's like, so if you seem extremism, right. Kind of in that space, you saying nothing about money does not remedy that at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you go into the extreme. Oh. So it, it, it has to start there because if not, people won't value what they have that's valuable. And if you don't value it, other yes. people won't value it either. Wow. So I think I think it starts there, right? And then secondly, let me use myself for an example, because this is the question I get so much from Christian entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who are Christian. Darius, where is your line? What is ministry and what is business? And I always say it's all ministry. But what you're asking is, how do I determine what I charge for? <laughs> That's what you're asking. Me. You're asking me, how do I determine what I charge for? And I say, for me, it's really clear. Anything that is along the lines of salvation or sanctification. There is no paywall in front of. Mm. 
That's good. When it comes to optimization, optimization requires an investment on your part. It requires me putting you in rooms with people that are like-minded and that are serious. Um, To optimize money is the least expensive thing you're going to have to invest. Hmm. Like that's the easiest thing to, uh, to, to give up. And so, man, this is, this is something, um, gosh, it's in Proverbs 16. And I want y'all to check me out on this. It's Proverbs 16. The haters are going to say I'm taking it out of context, but in Proverbs 16, (laughs) part of it says, cursed is the one who withholds the grain, but blessed is he who sells it. Hmm. My, my, my. Something along that. So God is anti-exploitation. God is anti-predatory behavior. Yes. God is not anti-profit. Whoa. Yes. You understand? (laughs) Yeah. So once that, that's, that's once, once I got that mindset broken off of me, then I, then the floodgates open up with ideas and creative strategies for what I call purpose-driven entrepreneurship. So Tyler, that's a long way to answer your question like this. Everything that's a part of my purpose, I don't get paid for. Yes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, mm-hmm. but there are things that I do, that I do, that add value to other, they serve other people and create a stream of income for me. And it might be something that I do that I wouldn't say is a part of my purpose, but I, but it is a gift that God's given me and I can use the profit for something that is purposeful. That's good. Yeah. That yeah. So I look at yeah. what gifts, what skill sets have. So I'm really passionate about speaking. And it was in part because I was, 19 years old. I'm at Millsaps College, Jamar. I'm depressed. I'm going through a depression. A friend invited me to this Bible study. I go to this Bible study on Northside Avenue. It was a a Pentecostal church, Liberal Trinity Church of God in Christ. There's a guy there, Keith Quinn. And it's like, um, it was no more than probably like 12 of us in the, you know, in that Bible study, man, he's teaching like it's 12,000. And Mm, I'm I'm not just talking about energy and theatrics. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about he's prepared. And because I was depressed, whenever he's talking about hope and things that were encouraging, I didn't believe what he said, but I believed he believed it. So I kept doing it. And so for me, that inspired me to say, you know, what this guy did for me, I want to do for other people. I want to rock their world with words. So I'm passionate about speaking. And I recognize that's something God's gifted me to do. I wouldn't say raising up other speakers is part of my purpose, but it is a skill that God's given me. Yes. And I do coach and train other people on how to do it. Mm. And it creates a stream of income for me that I'm able to use to do things that I think are more purposeful, which especially for us as African-Americans, most African-Americans don't have the luxury just thinking about the generation that's coming behind you. Come on. Yes. We got to think about the ones that came before us, too. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If I don't do that for my parents, nobody's doing that for them. And they sacrifice for me. They weren't able to do that for themselves. So that was purposeful for me. Uh, Does that make sense? So I think, yeah, some of the skills that God's given people, I I wish they would feel free enough to say, hey, this is valuable. And and here's I think this should be the philosophy of a Christian. 
Christians shouldn't sell anything. To, I don't sell anything to poor people. People can't, I don't sell anything to people. The products and services that we offer are for people who are in seasons where they're able to make that kind of investment in themselves. Yes. But it doesn't mean we don't invest in people who can't make that investment. This is what you, whether it's podcasts, whether it's teachings, yes. whether it's IG content, whether it's other such sorts of low ticket programs. You know what I mean? Those are things that we do to kind of add value to people who are in a season of life where they've got other things that may require, maybe requiring a lot of their attention. And they're not even able to give themselves to some of the things that bro, when you are trying to figure out how you're going to eat, you're not thinking about how to be a better speaker. Yes. It's, just, it's just not in that season. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so um, I'm not trying to offer that program to someone who's trying to figure out how they're going to eat. We're trying to help them eat. But for people who might not be in that season and who do want to develop that skill, coaching and speaking and training, we help them do that. That's so good. Yes. That's so so good. helpful. Um, we're going to leave the people wanting a little bit more. We want them to go out and buy Your Purpose is Calling. But we did have one final question for you. Our podcast is called uh, Pass the Mic. And so one of our great joys is, is being able to pass the mic to folks like you. We're wondering in your life, who are you thinking about passing the mic to? Who, who, whose voices do you think need to be amplified? And, and how are you trying to intentionally pass the mic to others in your sphere, in your circles? Man, this is an interesting question. I might get a little pushback for this one, but it is, I'm looking twofold. So I'm looking like in the context of uh, the Christian space in terms of people that I feel like, um, man, just whether it's their oral communication, whether it's their written communication, whether it's you name it, um, people that I feel like have a ministry to a degree that's transformative. Like I'm looking in that space. Right. Um, but I'm also looking guys in the business space mm -hmm. with the, the people that I'm mentoring and coaching in that space. And I'm going to tell you why, because when you really think about, and to me, I'm, I'm going to use Ephesians four kind of as my framework for this. When you really think about the role we play as leaders in the church, we not Kobe and Mike, we feel Jackson. Hmm. People in the pews are Kobe and Mike. Wow. Right. So the congregation, <laughs> the congregation has a wow. mission field into the world and they're going into their various spheres of influence, the fashion industry and the medical industry and the governmental industry. So they're going into to their own worlds. And what I want to do is I want to equip them. Right. I want to equip them to be voices of influence in those spheres so that we aren't just like standing on the outside of the places of influence, telling people y'all treat us right. <laughs> y'all do the right thing. Wow. <laughs> so that's what we're doing now. We're standing on the outside saying do the right thing. When we need missionaries that are in those mission fields that are like Daniel though, who, yes. who are skillful and excellent and competent and valuable they add value. And so they have influence. And so I think, yes. I think we don't just need like more. We do need more voices in the church. We need more voices in the world. We need more Daniels. Yes. yes. You know? And um, so, so I'm, I'm passionate about that. 
Wow. Dr. Daniels, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been rich and encouraging and challenging. And uh, I feel like I've been rebuked uh, three times uh, with a smile. Um, but we really appreciate your ministry, your time and your encouragement. Once again, the book is Your Purpose is Calling. Um, you can follow Dr. Daniels uh, at the social media that is either in the description of this podcast or uh, below um, on the screen if you're watching via video. If you're, that's for our Patreon audience. But Dr. Daniels, thank you so much thank for joining. You. Your your yes. life has added so much value to us uh, before this podcast, but even more on this podcast. So thank you, sir. Thank you for your witness. Uh, thank yes. you, guys. It's been, been an honor to be here. folks. Jamar Tisby here, co-host of the Pass the Mic podcast. Let me throw this at you. A live podcast show. We're doing it. Pass the Mic is going to have a live show in Atlanta, Friday, August 19th at 7 p.m. That's Atlanta, Friday, August 19th at 7 p.m. We're going to be at the M3 Center Studio. You can grab your tickets at eventbrite.com and at thewitnessbcc.com. I guarantee you it's going to be a good time. It's going to be chill. There's going to be laughs. There's going to be mental and intellectual and spiritual edification and stimulation. It's going to be me and Tyler and the crew out there. We want to see y'all in person. Come on out to Pass the Mic Live ATL at the M3 Center Studio. Show starts at 7, doors open at 6. You can get your tickets at eventbrite.com or thewitnessbcc.com. Check our socials for details and we will see you live in Atlanta next Friday. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.